Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What is gain-of-function research? What is it used for? And what does it have to do with COVID-19? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. So remember a couple months ago when news outlets started revisiting the possibility that COVID-19 came out of the Wuhan lab in China? More lawmakers are calling for an independent investigation into the origins of COVID-19. Last month, President Biden ordered the intelligence community to review the data on COVID origins and report back to him within 90 days. According to the Wall Street Journal, a classified report from last year found it was possible the virus escaped from a Wuhan, China lab. The administration says it's also pushing the World Health Organization to open up a new investigation with or without China's cooperation. And as calls for deeper investigation into the origins of COVID-19 came from both the government and the science community, we heard a lot about gain-of-function research, a method of virology that has been linked to many questions surrounding the origins of COVID-19 and the Wuhan Institute of Virology. So to get some clarity on what gain-of-function research is and how it fits into the conversation surrounding COVID-19, I am bringing back... Dr. Marty McCary. Dr. McCary is a surgical oncologist and public health expert at Johns Hopkins University. He's a Fox News contributor and the author of the New York Times bestseller, The Price We Pay, What Broke American Healthcare and How to Fix It. Marty, thank you so much for coming on. I didn't scare you off after the last time you were on. No, I'm ready for more. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Thanks for coming back on. We're talking about gain of function. It's been in the news a lot over the past year. So can we just start with a basic definition? What is gain of function? Sure, Abby. So, you know, in politics, you've got basically this dichotomization of America where some are Republicans and some are Democrats. I'm oversimplifying, but Hmm. in virology, we have the same distinction and they don't fall along political lines. It's just a separate philosophy. And that is, is there value to doing gain of function research or is there no value? And is it too risky to ever do it? Now, what we're talking about is in the laboratory, changing the DNA in a virus so that the spike protein on the surface of the DNA can be sort of inserted from another virus. That is, you get the code from another virus. So you have a spike protein that's coded for from a section of DNA from another virus, and you insert that into the mRNA or DNA of this of a of a of a different virus. And so what'll happen is if you do that, if you insert the genetic code for a spike protein from another virus into a virus, that virus will produce that spike protein on its coat. Mm. And you might say, why on earth would you want to do that? But that's the idea of gain of function research. You can make it more contagious. Okay. So I have so many questions about what you just said. First of all, how do you physically do that? 
Yeah, great question. So in the laboratory now, there is good standard procedures for how you insert a sequence of the genome. You can actually, in a, in a machine, dial in the sequence of an mRNA that you want. You can, you can program it. It's like a vending machine or something. You can go in there and type in the sequence that you want. Remember, an mRNA or DNA, any genetic code is just four molecules in, in a different order, right? And those are uh, A, T, G, and C. And each of those has a you know bigger name, but that those are the nicknames of each of those four molecules. So you can have ATGC, you can have uh, GCC, you can have any combination. And of course, that gives you billions of possibilities. That's why we have billions of people all who look and act and live differently in the United States. So you can actually, in a machine, create design, if you will, program in the sequence that you want, and it'll produce an mRNA. Okay. What's the point of gain of function? What's what's a specific example that you can give me to just kind of, you know, make it more relatable to our viewers? Because, again, we've been hearing it a lot with COVID-19, but gain of function research has been used for quite some time, right? Yeah. So there are roughly a million viruses on planet Earth. That's terrifying. And maybe... <laughs> it's a little terrifying. Um, if it's any consolation, Abby, less than 1% of them have ever crossed over into the human species. That does make Most me feel them, a bit better. A little better? Okay, good. <laughs> Thank um, you. Well, you can feel good for now until I tell you what Dr. Fauci has been recommending. Oh, boy. So, so less than 1% have crossed over into human beings. Now, some researchers have said, hey, here's a virus that lives in the animal kingdom. Let's see if we can get it to infect human cells why okay exactly that's what a lot of us are saying <laughs> what a bad why? Idea, that right? sounds like a terror i'm no doctor i'm no scientist but that sounds like a terrible idea well your logic is the exact same logic of the scientists in the virology community who have opposed any gain of function research and there is that group um uh so what they do is they don't say, hey, let's find, a, you know, a prisoner and let's infect them just, you know, as a human model. What they do is they take mouse cells and they try to convert those cells into human human looking cells. It's called humanized cells. You humanize the cells and you're basically doing a genetic manipulation of a mouse cell to make it behave like a human cell and look like a human cell as a model of a human being. So you're not actually infecting a human being. Now, again, this sounds insane, right? But this is exactly what they were doing at the Wuhan lab. And by the way, this has been done at the University of North Carolina and other places is they humanize the mouse cells, try to make them look uh, like a human cell. So the virus sees the surface of that mouse cell and thinks it's the surface of a human cell. And they watch this, the virus to see if it can infect the human cell. Now, on top of that, they're, they're juicing up the virus by adding a spike protein to it from manipulating its mRNA to make it more contagious because the contagiousness of a virus is related to the shape of the spike protein. Does that make sense? Okay. It does make sense. So then what was the goal of the gain of function research that was going on in the Wuhan lab? Yeah. So a lot of us have said, what the hell were you guys doing over there? Like right. the same question you're asking, why on earth would you do this? Right. So remember in academics and, and I don't know if 
if you relate to this, most Americans, when they go to college, are required to take like one science requirement, right? Right. And a lot of people take geology because it's, you know, considered one of the more, you know, understandable or easier science courses at some universities. And you learn the names of all these rocks, right? And you, you, at some point, a rational person says, why do I need to know this? Like, why, why do we have to characterize every rock on planet Earth? Like, what's the point? And if you've noticed, there is this sense in, in the PhD community and academics, and it's with a noble cause, but it's the idea of increasing knowledge about the world in every aspect for knowledge's sake. Mm-hmm. In other words, we don't know why we need to characterize all these coronaviruses in the bat world, but let's just do it because there's knowledge out there to be gained. Okay. You hear a little bit of that philosophy in space exploration, but you know, you ask like, why are we going to the moon? Well, you know, because it's a frontier of knowledge. Well, what are we getting out of it? You know, it's expensive. And this was a real debate that happened in the United States. Do we do, scientific uh, exploration and invest money, dollars, taxpayer dollars, when there's no real definitive goal. It may be a national priority or national security goal, but in terms of the science, what science have we gotten out of going to the moon? Tang? I mean, that's Mm -hmm. kind of what people point to. There's no medical cure, as was promised, from going to the moon. Same thing with the coronavirus research that the NIH funded in the Wuhan Virology Lab. Why study coronaviruses and characterize them? They've not crossed over into human beings. And characterizing them in the lab and juicing them up by gain of function is risky in and of itself. Right. I want to talk about those risks. I mean, you're dealing with these potentially dangerous pathogens. So how do you manage that? Um, So I would say, you know, if you had like a third grade class has a science field trip and they say, we're going to go to the local nuclear reactor and just have the kids at the controls for a couple hours. <laughs> that sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm sure it is fun for the kids. <laughs> and I'm sure it's fascinating. I'm, I'm even sure that they would increase their general scope of knowledge around science. But it's risky, right? And right. so you, when you talk about the risks and the benefits juicing up these viruses with gain-of-function research is not just to increase knowledge. If you deal with the real-world risks, the risk of creating a global pandemic is uh, too severe to warrant the benefits of doing it. So here's two arguments that I've put out. One is, why not? Why don't we just, you know, they argue they, they need to do this research in the Wuhan lab and the NIH is doing gain-of-function research that, or they fund it. At Chapel Hill and other places, they argue, well, this is so that if we have a pandemic, we're prepared with a therapy or we'll we'll be further ahead in the science. And I've said and, and others have said, wait for the virus to cross over into the human species and then start your research. Mm. Okay, because guess how long it takes to sequence the whole human genome, your entire DNA. You want to find out that AGCT. Uh, sequence of your whole human genome. It used to take 10 years. Now it takes 45 minutes. Do it at that time. If you mess with things, you're more likely to create a pandemic. So that's, that's the main issue. The other is that you've got to recognize. So in the ivory tower, we ignore risks a lot. 
If you think about even in medicine, you know, you come in, you need your tonsils taken out. You're like, wait a minute, are there risks here? Ah, no, it's safe. Well, there are risks, right? We just tend to under recognize risks. The textbooks don't talk about, hey, here's an operation, but one in a thousand people will die from the procedure itself. And so there's this uh, sort of dismissal of the fact that you could have a mistake in the lab. As a matter of fact, mistakes are so common in the lab. We've had outbreaks from mistakes in the past, and uh, nobody really knows this. And this is the first time I've really even talked about this and studying it uh, here on your podcast. Wow. So breaking we, news, yeah. everyone. Can we get a sound of it? Like, breaking I wish I, w- I wish we uh, we had a sound effect, but we'll, we'll work on that. OK, well, while you work on it, I'll, I'll just go ahead and, and say thank it. So you. Here it is. So in 2003, we had a SARS epidemic, right? That was it was bad ac- epidemic, mostly affected Asia, but it killed a lot of people. The following year, researchers in China were working on the virus, manipulating it. The, 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 epi- the epidemic was over. OK, so no one was dying of SARS. It was over. It wasn't that large. They were working on it in the lab, had a lab accident. And a few uh, lab workers got infected with SARS after the SARS epidemic. Really? Yeah. The lab accidents are common. And it's not even necessarily an accident. Sometimes the Chinese Communist Party, people forget about this thing. In 1977, they were injecting the influenza virus into military recruits. We know military recruits are a common subject for government uh, research. U.S. even did it with the anthrax vaccine during the Iraq war, which was a disaster, by the way. Six doses, five booster doses. It was a disaster. Yeah. So it's well known governments experiment on military recruits with with their knowledge. They're not sneaking it into their coffee or anything. (laughs) That would be. Yeah, that would be not not a great thing. Not a great thing. So in 1977, they were injecting this influenza strain. And research later showed that that was the strain from 25 years prior. Now, the strain can't last 25 years unless you freeze it in a lab. Influenza can't last 25 years. So what they were probably doing is they were testing a vaccine and then challenging that they were testing vaccine on military recruits and then challenging them with the virus to see if the vaccine worked. Mm -hmm. That year, that strain that they were experimenting with infected uh, millions of people and killed 700,000 people in the world that the strain got out. The strain from 25 years ago, the strain from 25 years ago that they were using to inject in military recruits in 1977 became at large and killed 700,000 people. Mm. So there's a track record here, you know, so when they, Dr. Fauci and all these other folks, and I'm not just criticizing him, but there's a whole school of virologists, like half of them, that think there's value to doing gain-of-function research. It's like, look at the real-world experience of what happens when you mess with Mother Nature with these viruses. They get out. All right, we've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie, formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services, marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you, it's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool with over 200,000 pros in their network 
Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. In your opinion, Marty, do you think that the cons of -of gain-of-function research outweigh the pros? That's right. It should never be done. You know, mm. now we have enough information. Remember, DNA was discovered like when my dad was in medical school. They didn't even know what strains or you just got sick. Right. You just got sick and no one could really quantify or measure what what the virus was. Now that we have all this information and we can sequence things so fast within you know 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Stop messing with viruses in the lab, period. No gain of function research. And I'm really surprised, Abby. We have not seen the humility in our public health officials that promoted gain of function research to say, gosh, I got we got things so wrong. We were so wrong about gain of function research. I feel terrible. Right. That's the humility people are hungry for. Do you think that it's because we haven't really recognized it? That's the first time that I've been hearing about or that I've heard about the SARS epidemic kind of, you know, the researchers in China that were working on the virus and manipulating it. They got infected. And then, you know, in 1977, that strain got out. That was from 25 years prior. Do you think it's just a lack of acknowledgement and knowledge in general from the public? This information isn't really top headline. That's right. And the New York Times did a a brief piece on the 1977 outbreak that killed 700,000 people. By the way, a well-known Chinese researcher confided and basically admitted to what was going on to a famous U.S. virologist, Mm -hmm. one who I respect tremendously. And that's in the New York Times piece. And you're right. People seem to ignore it. Now, a lot of our public health leaders, you know, um, doctors Fauci, Collins, that whole group, the, the folks that you see sort of at large, the folks that meet the press and CNN put on incessantly, they're basically politicians, right? And one of the games the politicians play is never show weakness, never admit you're wrong, mm. change the subject. And you're seeing this argument that when they were wrong, they simply didn't have the data. And once they got the data, they evolved their position as if that's the normal way of doing it. And a lot of us have said, Look, it's not a matter of not having the data. You had a very wrong hypothesis. Your hypothesis was bad. There was a right hypothesis, a better one, and you were advocating for the wrong one. Right. So this is, I mean, what what confuses me the most is you had mentioned this a little bit earlier, that um, there's the risks sometimes are underplayed, right? So when you're a scientist and you're in a lab like the Wuhan lab, how do you assess the risk that your research might present? Well, I almost uh, would recommend any laboratory that's working with respiratory viruses that you have to assume that this is a likely possibility. And Robert Redford, the former head of the CDC um, in the last administration, you may remember he made some headlines when he said, look, I think it came from the Wuhan lab. Um, 
and respiratory uh, lab workers getting infected with the respiratory pathogens is not uncommon. As a matter of fact, most people who have worked in a lab know who's working in, who's actually pouring the ingredients in the lab. Is it the senior researcher? Is it the head of the department? No, these are usually tax experiments run late into the night. You know, I remember working in a lab at 2 a.m. I'd go in there and, you know, the, the chemicals have a certain time schedule where you're supposed to do, do steps of the experiment. You're working with animals late at night. I mean, lab accidents are, if you work there, you realize, hey, these are more common than people think. Really? So is that, um, to go back to the Wuhan lab doing gain-of-function research, do you think that they were just doing this uh, based off of the, uh, you know, the, the hunger for more knowledge, or was there an actual reason that we could have benefited from the type of gain-of-function that they were doing? I, I think it was uh, with noble ambition, but also there's this sort of bl blind nature of research of let's just increase knowledge for knowledge's sake. Mm. And there's a really sad personal piece of this to me, and that is we submitted a large grant to the NIH while they were funding the Wuhan Virology Institute. By the way, it wasn't just the NIH. The Pentagon was doing it for years as well. And we um, think that we've identified some of the primary causes of Alzheimer's disease, our research team. We submitted a large five-year multi-million dollar grant with the top researchers at Johns Hopkins to identify and elucidate the causes of Alzheimer's. It was rejected because of insufficient funding. Then we learned that they were funding this gain-of-function research. Mm. And we're like, you, not only are you not going to produce any useful information, there's no point in just increasing knowledge for knowledge's sake with no goal, and you're ignoring the risks. And these, um, I call them ivory tower doctors, um, doctors who um, I think live in this, uh, this artificial world, were put out these statements and declarations saying, here are the parameters for doing gain-of-function research. It has to be safe. It has to be monitored. It has to be, well, you know what? You're living in a false reality. That's not how labs work. Right. And right. so there's this sort of arrogance of, well, we only recommend it in very strict circumstances. There's been virus leaks in U.S. labs. And by the way, it's more common than people think. Yeah, you can tell someone to be safe. It's like walking down the streets of New York. You can tell someone, hey, be safe, be safe. But, you know, you can't prevent every single thing from happening. Right. You can. Words are just words. You have to back it up with actions. Um, yeah, it, that's right. And, and by the way, Abby, some researchers were so adamant that we should have no gain of function research. They actually convinced the Obama administration years ago to put a ban on all funding of gain of function research. And to get any funding passed, they had to go through a special select committee to issue an exemption. That's how strong people felt. And it worked? He, he put a ban on it? And it worked and it put a ban, but they applied for the exemption and got it for a lot of the gain-of-function research that wow. Dr. Fauci's group had funded. Wow. Okay, so Marty, where do we go from here? Because it sounds like, you know, it, it has way too many risks. We saw it with potentially what happened. Obviously, there's still an investigation going on with the origins of COVID-19, but we do know that this could have had to do with gain of function. So where do we go from here? Well, I think we need to demand some humility from the scientific community that um, propagated this idea that gain of function research has value. There's numerous videos. I saw uh, Jesse Waters had a nice summary of this topic. Um, 
Steve Hilton's also done the same. By the way, the only hard questions these researchers ever get is when they go in front of Congress. Uh, otherwise, they're just getting puff questions. Here's the public accountability I'd love to see, Abby, is you advocated for gain-of-function research as a principle. Mm. Um, given what happened, would you agree that we should shut down and condemn all gain-of-function research from here into perpetuity. And then we need to have safeguards set up. You know, the, what's going on in labs around the world, and there's other BSL two, three, four labs doing similar kind of stuff around the world. Those are national security risks. And so there should be cameras in every lab and there should be a monitoring system. It's not that hard. If you have a camera to check out the Amazon delivery guy dropping off a package where we can put a camera in a mm-hmm. DSL or lab. Wow. That would have been, I, I would assume there were no cameras in the Wuhan lab. No. Well, and the ones is, that we have access to <laughs> anyway. That's right. Yeah, no, this is the sort of stuff. These are real reforms. This is medical leadership. This is what we need right now. We need medical leadership to stand up and say, we need, need to immediately regroup and condemn gain of function research and create accountability for all labs doing viral research. Well, um, I wish that you could be that medical leadership. You you are in, in you know you're going on and you're in you're you're trying to spread the word about that. But I wish we could hire you up there, Marty. Thanks, Abby. Appreciate the support. I'm, right now, I'm just a simple country doctor trying to do my part. Yeah, simple country doctor, of course. Um, well, you know, for our listeners too, a doctor Marty McCary also wrote a book. How do we how do we find that? I mean, it was it was a couple years ago, but still one that's very relevant in today's world. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I'm really excited about this book. We just released it in paperback. It's a new edition with a look back on COVID. It's called The Price We Pay. It's available everywhere. Just hit the New York Times list um, in the uh, as a paperback. All right. Well, everyone will have to check that out. Marty, thank you again for coming on. Again, you are a very busy man and we appreciate your time. Uh, fun to be with you, Abby. Thanks for having me. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways from my conversation with Dr. McCary on gain of function research. Number one, Dr. McCary says that there are a lot of risks to gain of function research. And he actually believes we shouldn't be doing it at all. He thinks in many cases, gain of function research is just for the sake of knowledge. Instead, we should wait for the virus from an animal to cross over into humans, then start our research. Number two. He emphasized that lab accidents are more common than we may think. In fact, back in 2003, we had a SARS epidemic. The following year, researchers in China were working on the virus and manipulating it in a lab. They had an accident and those workers got infected. So again, the risk is very high. And number three, I asked Dr. McCary where we go from here. And he said, we really need to demand humility from the scientific community and have medical leadership really stand up and speak out on this issue. Thanks so much for joining me for this lesson on gain-of-function research. For more podcasts, go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave us a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Class dismissed. The Fox News Rundown, a contrast of perspectives you won't hear anywhere else. Your daily dose of news twice a day. Featuring insight from top newsmakers, reporters, and Fox News contributors. Listen and subscribe now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.